As our children are being dismissed, I invite you to turn back to that 1 Kings chapter 18 passage we read a little bit earlier in our service. We've been doing a series on our theme for the year, Annual Matter. Uh, Worship Matters is our annual theme for the year. And we'll continue doing that today. Let me start by putting your worship decision that I'm going to ask you to make today in the context of worship decisions all throughout history. You probably realize that worship decisions have been decisive in charting the course and destiny not only of individuals like yourself, but of nations all throughout redemptive history in the Bible. From the beginning to the end of Scripture, the door of God's story repeatedly swings open on the hinges of the answer to this one question, who will you worship? And starting in the Bible with Adam and Eve, who who charted a course for all of us in their initial worship decision to not listen to God and instead listen to Satan, Um, all of us have been plunged into sin. It wasn't long after that Cain and Abel, their sons, were also confronted with a worship decision. And their decisions have put all of humanity into two categories. Those who worship the true God in his ways and those who worship the God of their own devices and their own definitions in their own way. But the long line of worship decisions continues with people like Moses who chose the gods of Israel over the gods of Egypt and Joshua whose conquest of Canaan and its people were probably more actually, more accurately I should say, uh, conquest of the gods of Canaan. And of course, Joshua himself who indicated his worship decision when he said, for me and my house, we will worship the Lord. Of course, the Bible and the pages of Scripture are also filled with worship decisions of great women who turned their back on foreign gods of their ancestries like Rahab and Ruth to serve and worship the true and living God. And of course, so that all of us would know that worship decisions are not easy ones and they are not made in a vacuum, the Bible tells us the backstories of the worship decisions of men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who made worship decisions that got them round-trip tickets to a fiery furnace and a lion's den. And last but not least, certainly the climax of all worship decisions was made in the Gospels by none other than our Lord Jesus Christ, who was the greatest worshiper of all, who said to Satan, get behind me, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord God and him only shall you worship. And of course, following Jesus' example all throughout the Gospels and through the epistles, many, many people from all kinds of nations have been making that choice, that worship decision, to worship the one true living God and forsaking all Baals and all false gods behind them. In fact, you get to the Revelation, the last book of the Bible, and the whole book is based on a choice of worship. Will you worship the lamb or will you worship the beast? And see, that's what history has really been all about. And whether you understand it or not this morning, that's really what your history has been all about because every single one of you made a worship decision to come here this morning and you make hundreds of worship decisions every day outside these walls. See, perhaps God brought you here this morning because he wants you to make another worship choice 
one that perhaps will change the trajectory of your life and perhaps even the life of everyone in your family. Perhaps today God brought you here because he wants to ask you that question that he's been asking all people for all times. Who will you worship? Because we found out, haven't we, in this series? Because worship matters. Our main idea in all of our services and all of our sermons, I should say, is you become like what you worship, either for ruin or for restoration. We said it this way, what you revere, you resemble. And in our context, if you're there in 1 Kings chapter 18, you'll find that Israel was in need themselves of making a worship decision because Ahab had been king and he married a Sidonian woman by the name, famous name of Jezebel. She had incited him over the years to synchronize and try to bring together Yahweh worship, God, the Bible worship, and Baal, a false god. She wanted to try to bring those two together and it caused quite a bit of trouble. In fact, you saw in the text that when Ahab talks to Elijah, who stood up for God against Baal, he says, oh, it is you, you troubler of Israel. Now, that was pretty interesting because the only time that Bible phrase, troubler of Israel, is used is to describe two times in Joshua, once in 1 Chronicles 2.7, it described Achan, who when they went into Jericho, disobeyed God's command of Korban, it was dedicated, took things that didn't belong from him, disobeyed the commandments of God and caused great trouble in Israel. And here is Ahab, who's worshiping the Baals, calling the prophet of God the troubler, but of course God's prophet won't let that stand. He says, oh, it's not me, you're the troubler of Israel. And perhaps that's what we need to hear. You this morning, is it you? You may be the troubler in Israel. You see, God wanted to confront that problem, that trouble in Israel. And so here's what he did. He tells Elijah to have Ahab be confronted in this way. Call everyone to Mount Carmel, and we're going to have a contest between the gods. We might want to call it a worship war. There are going to be two gods, and on this, in this context, we'll settle it once and for all. Who's the false god and who's the true god? So he asks Israel, and by the way, think of it this way, and he's asking us to take the climb about 1,400 feet above sea level. I've been to Mount Carmel, and you can look over all the plain, and you can see so far, everyone would have been able to see this. He says, come with us to the top of Mount Carmel, and we're all going to ask and answer the question this morning as we go with them. Who will you worship? Elijah phrases that a little bit differently, and if you look in your text with me in verse 21, here's what he says. How long will you go limping between the different opinions? Two different opinions. Now, no, he is not talking... He is not talking to the prophets of Baal or Asherah. He's, not ta he's talking to God's people. This is a message for God's people. See, the Hebrew word for limping means to try to hobble. It means to hop back and forth. We'd say it today in our vernacular, you try to have it both ways. If you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, there's a character in it who lived in the city of fair speech, and his name was Mr. Facing Both Ways. <laughs> because that's what he was always trying to do. He was trying to 
act like he loved God, but he also had this going on over here, and he was kind of two-faced, we'd say. And see, for a long time, I used to think, as I listened and read this text, to this text, that Baal was a very specific god, like Zeus or something in the pantheon of other gods of other nations. But what I came to realize is that Baal was many gods. In other words, the god El, E-L, Baal, Baal was all of the manifestations of that false god that they thought they could worship at the same time as the true god. And there was a Baal just about for everything that mattered in daily life. I've read the stories about there was a bale of sex and fertility. There was the bale of business deals. There was a bale for different seasons and crops so that you could make sure that you had enough food for your family and for the country. There was the bale of the land and the water. There was the bale of storm. That was the one they're going to have in our story today. The one who controlled thunder and lightning and rain. See, there was a bale for just about everything. And in his book, Here Are Your Gods, Christopher Wright says this, listen to this carefully. The temptation for Israel and why they were drawn to try to merge two worships is the thought that in order for them to be prosperous and successful in the land, they had to follow the ways of the gods of the people who lived there and were already prosperous. Do you hear what he's saying? He goes on to say this, of course... They kept on worshiping Yahweh because they needed him to bless their country. They needed to keep him as their national identity. They needed him in case a battle came against a foe they could not handle. Hear him. But for the rest of their lives, in the things that mattered every day, he writes, they thought they needed the Baals. Sound familiar? American Christianity is exactly the same. We worship the God of the Bible on Sundays because we need him for our national identity. We really want to stamp him out of our culture as much as we possibly can until a terrorist attack comes like 9-11 or a disease comes down our way like COVID. And then it's okay. It's okay now for everyone to sing God bless America. It's okay for our Christian politicians to quote from the Bible. And so we need him. See, it's not that we're trying to get rid of him altogether because he does have a place. But for the rest of our lives, on the things that matter every day, we think we need the modern bales of our culture. That's how we'll be prosperous and successful. I tell you this, the worship of Baal The modern worship of Baal is alive and well in Western culture today. We in America have our own modern equivalents that we seek to merge with our worship of the God of the Bible on Sundays. The modern Baal of sexuality. We go to worship God on Sunday and live with our girlfriend or boyfriends on Monday. We defy God's commandments of sexuality. We rebuff him about gender and marriage, and we pretty much all but ignore him when it comes to pornography. But yet we want to say that we worship the true God. 
And not to mention the modern veil of consumerism in which we say that we love God and he is supreme all week long in the way that we do our jobs and what our priorities are, the way that we spend our money, we prove that the veil of money and consumerism is truly the one in whom we trust. Of course, add with that the modern veil of celebrity worship, which is in tandem with consumerism. And we assume, we assume in America, and our children, perhaps the worst, that someone who's achieved celebrity status through movies in Hollywood or sports fame or music popularity and their great wealth, because they can do those things and they're wealthy, that those things alone have made them somehow magically able to have wisdom and expertise to give us trusted advice in important areas of life. It's a joke. We consume their opinions and their words with awe when they are filled with nothing but lies. See, the problem is this. We exalt those who seek to embody the things that we worship. That's why we listen to their false God advice. And I haven't even mentioned this morning the modern bales of nationalism and politicism, racial superiority, therapeutic deism, expressive individualism. I haven't mentioned the bales of TV and social media and politics where we think it's important to be Republican and Democrat equal to or above being a disciple of Jesus. And all the while, we try to worship God and the Baals at the same time. We don't realize that we are becoming just like the gods we worship. And can I tell you what it looks like so you can find out if it's you? It results and looks like this, limping. That's what it looks like. That's what the, how long will you limp? It's like walking on uneven crutches. See, because when you walk after a false god, you begin to walk like them. We can't walk right because they don't have feet that really work. Do you remember the text in Psalm 115 and verse 7? I quoted the very first message. They have feet, but they do not walk. And those who make them are like them. See, false idols and those who worship them have walking problems. Jeremiah 10.5 says, Their idols are like scarecrows and they cannot speak. They have to be carried because they cannot walk. Revelation 9 and verse 20, their idols which cannot see, hear, or walk. Do you understand what the Bible says? That when you, you worship a false god who cannot walk, you will start to emulate him. And you know how it looks like when you start down that road? You start limping. See, Israel is limping and they're on their way to being just like the Baals that they tried to worship alongside of the true and living God. In fact, the word... In the text in chapter 18 and verses, chapter 18, verse 18, and twice in 21, is they followed the Baals. Ahab followed the Baals. Israel had started following the Baals. And it's the same word used in our text a week or two ago in Jeremiah when it says they walked after. See, they walked after these gods. And what you walk after, you will end up walking like. So let me ask you, is there a wobble in your worship this morning? See, are you trying to have it both ways? 
Here's what Elijah wants us to know. There are only two choices. It's either God or Baal. If God is God, walk after him. If Baal is, walk after him. See, we need to destroy this morning the delusion of neutrality. All religions are not the same. All gods are not the same. How long will you limp between two gods? And see, you know what? We're just like them at times, some of God's people. See, we need God, don't we? You're here this morning because you wouldn't say, I I can do everything without him. You need God. You need him for your identity in this way. Because when impossible situations arise in your life, you can't do without him. If you're going to go to heaven when you die, I need God. Who doesn't want that? If I actually get a diagnosis and says I have cancer stage four, I need him for that. If we're going to ever see peace in our world and in the wars like Ukraine versus Russia, that's going to be a God thing. But for the rest of your life, on the things that matter every day, raising your children, handling your finances, repairing your marriage, pursuing your career, we limp. We limp. You know why? Because we think that the Baals can handle those things. That's what everybody else in America does. And see, I need God for these impossible things, but for the everyday things, I look around and see what everybody else does, and I follow what everybody else thinks, how they say, how they frame things, how they use their money, what their priorities are. Hey, go after that. Pursue sports and education at any cost. Why? Because we're limping. That's what we do. (laughs) Okay, Pastor Walker, if I need to make a worship decision... How do I know which of those gods to choose? Because we live in a world today that a lot of people would tell me that I don't even need to make a choice. That I should be really, if I'm really a nice person, I would tolerate both of them. Some would even say it's wrong for one god to say it's superior to another. And Elijah says, you know what that is? Hogwash. There's only one god and you got to decide which one it is. And here's how you know. Not only for them on Mount Carmel, but for all of us today, 21st century, how can you know if God is God or Baal is God, whichever form of Baal you are worshiping? Here's what Elijah says. Well, it's the God who can actually answer you. See, when we make the sacrifice, it's the God who can bring it. It's the God who can bring the fire. And so he says in verse 24 at the text, look at the text, verse 24, the God We'll call upon the name of our God and I will call upon the name of the Lord and the God who answers. And that is a key word now throughout the rest of our text. The God who can answer. It's used twice in verse 24, twice in verse 26, and another time in verse 37 because here's what Elijah and the text is doing. It is setting up a contrast so that you on the top of Mount Carmel with everybody else's there can make a decision for yourself between which God you will serve. Which one will answer? Now listen, this should be a slam dunk for Baal. He should win this easily. You know why? Because Mount Carmel is his home turf. Most everybody except Jewish people believed that their deities were local. In other words, they have authority and power, but only in a specific limited geographical area. 
So we, would, we might say it today. Hey, in the Hamilton, Trenton, surrounding area, there might be a deity here. But in South Jersey or North Jersey or beyond, there could be other gods. But our God is good right here. And the turf of Baal was centered in Mount Carmel. It was his home field advantage. And the Baal, the Baal of storm, the storm Baal, his specialty, his expertise, thunder, lightning, i.e. fire, and rain. So if this is about bringing the fire down from the sky and, and consuming the altar and the sacrifice, he is everybody's bet. In fact, doesn't he have 450 to 1 odds? I mean, there's 450 prophets and there's one prophet of God. If you're looking at the scene and you're really neutral, you got to think that Baal's going to win, Right? And so they prove that, and they go out and say, hey, we're going to show you. And they call on the name of Baal. Look at verses 28 and 29. They call on the name of Baal. Now, remember, name in the Bible stands for all that you are, what really marks your character, what you really can do. And so it sees the God of the fire. They start praying, and they pray really loudly. And they're asking, Baal, God of fire, bring the fire. He is the storm God after all, right? But the question is, can he live up to his name? Well, so far he has it because in the context of our passage, he's the God of rain and then there's been a drought for three years. Strike one. He's going to be asked to bring the lightning and the fire. Strike two. But they keep praying, just like we all do when you have a bail. And here's what the Bible says. And it uses twice in verse 26 the word answer because there is none. They keep praying and here's what the Bible says. No voice, no one answered. Today we'd say crickets. See, Baal has gone AWOL when they needed him the most. It's interesting that the word limp in verse 21, is the same verb used in verse 26 as they're going around the altar to Baal that they had built and they're crying out for him to send the fire. They're limping. They're going like back and forth. Like, you know what? The very thing that Israel was doing, the prophets had already been doing because they had already become completely like their God. They can't walk, the prophets do. They limp around and they're begging their God to do something. They revere him, they become to resemble him, and they can do nothing. It's empty. There is no answer. They have become a living illustration of what worshiping Baal instead of God will do to you. See, the word Baal literally in Hebrew means spiritual Lord, and whatever Baal you worship ends up having authority over you. And we think, we think by worshiping the Baal that we can have authority over him, that we can get him to do what we want. But in the end, we don't realize it, that he actually has no ability or power and he can't bring the rain and he can't bring the fire. And our lives are one after another, cycle after cycle of emptiness and disappointment. And Elijah knows this. And you know what he does in verse 27? Look, he starts mocking them. They've spent hours calling on him. Like some of you who after your bail, you've spent days trying to get what you want and months and years only to find it in an utter failure. The prophet of God says, well, here's what you need to do. Why don't you cry a little louder because maybe he just can't hear. 
He even says, maybe he's in the bathroom, and when he's done, he'll come out. Maybe he's on a journey, we would say today. Maybe he's on vacation. We'll just wait a little while when he comes back. Maybe he's asleep, and he's snoring, and he can't really hear what you're saying. He's mocking him. And a second time, notice, underline your Bible in verse 29. He says it a second time. So we, when you call him Baal, here's what you get. No voice, no one answered. But he adds a phrase, see it? No one paid attention. He's not even giving you the time of day. <laughs> Can I tell you this? That's what work-based religions all do. All of them. There are only two religions in the world. There is biblical Christianity and everything else. And everything else can take the form of Catholicism. It can take of Hinduism, Buddhism, and on and on it goes. Jehovah Witness, all of them. It doesn't matter what form. They're all different in small ways. But there's one difference, only one, is that all of these, you work to get it. Christianity in the Bible is it's all of grace. And so when you have to work to get your God to do something and perform for you, you go to extremes, don't you? Especially when he can't come through. And so the Bible says he doesn't pay attention. He doesn't answer because he can't. And so you know what they do, the Bible says? Verse 29, they cut themselves. They take out small daggers and they start cutting themselves. And the Bible is very graphic and their blood starts spitting out on the altar. These aren't small little cuts. They are really cutting themselves. Why? Because it's performance-based. They have to work for it. And the bigger the thing they want, the harder they have to work, and ultimately, the more they have to cut themselves. See, when you work for it, you have a bail. You have to conjole, and you have to put pressure on them to get them to answer You do everything for him in order for him to do something for you, but yet in the end it never comes through. That's Baal worship. It's false. So they hop around and they jump around and they limp around. No answer, so they slash themselves. See, in the end it's doing a number on you, but see, you think that you can do a number on Baal and you can get him to conform to what you want, but in the end, Baal always ends up doing a number on you. Why? Because it's always about your performance, which you can never do enough of. You never be quite good enough. So when we fail, we hate ourselves. Oh, I, I was going to be more moral. Oh, I can't believe I did that again. I was never going to watch that on the screen of that computer again. I'm not, oh, I got to do better. We hate ourselves. We slash ourselves. That's not the only God in the context. So the text mentions that Baal didn't answer twice. But if you look at verse 37, when it's Elijah's turn, notice The Bible says that he says to God, oh God, answer us. Oh God, answer us. Same verb again. Why? But he's going to tell them, Baal can't answer. But God, I know that you can. I know that you can. But notice the difference in how they approach their God. The prophets of Baal all begging, all working at it, hopping around, cutting themselves, not Elijah He does no performance. In fact, the crazy thing is, he tries to make it even harder than it was for them. He takes barrels of water, 
around the stone altar of God that he had rebuilt. And they dig the trench around it to hold even more water. And so he wets the wood. I mean, he drenches the wood. He drenches the stones. And there's water seeping around like a pool behind it. You know why? Because here's what Elijah knows that we have failed to remember is that when you come to the true God, the God of the Bible, you don't perform for him. He performs for you. Baal, no rain, no fire, even after they performed for him. Yahweh, God, no performance necessary. The fire comes at the end of the chapter, the passage at the end that we don't have time for. The rain comes too. Why? Because you know what? Baal isn't the storm God. God is. God is. Why does he do it that way? Because here's what Elijah wants us all to be reminded of or perhaps know for the first time. False gods demand that you perform from them. The true God performs for you. Here's why. Because when you watch him perform for you, which you cannot do for yourself, it will turn your heart back to him. That's Elijah's words. God, I want you to know, I want to make it so impossible that it could never be done unless the true God did it. Here's why. Because I want them to be moved in their hearts that Baal isn't anything. You, God, are everything. See? So the Bible says that he fills with water and he prays and the fire falls. I mean, this is a lightning like no other. This is supernatural lightning power fire from God. It not only consumes the bull on the top, it consumes the wood. Listen to this. It consumes the stones and all the water. And even it says the dirt underneath it. There was nothing left. Why? Because that's what the true God does. And are we not shocked? We're not shocked. They look at that after they come off the ground probably. And they say, the Lord, he is God. Twice. Because he was asked twice. The Lord, he is God. Perhaps this morning, it's time to rebuild your altar to God. See, this was a covenant event this was reestablishing. There were 12 stones. And Israel, here's what Elijah is. Come back to the true God. He's the only God. Ditch the bales because they're doing a number on you. You'll never be happy with them. Come back. Rebuild the altar. Cry out to the only God who can really answer you. And it'll change and turn your heart back to him. Last thing, and we'll close. Do you notice in the text where the fire does fall? It falls on the altar. And you say, well, that's no shock. But truthfully, it should have fallen on the people who are idolatrous. But it doesn't, and here's why. In Luke 12, there, Jesus was going to a people and giving them the gospel, and they rejected him. And his disciples said, like Elijah, Jesus, should we call down fire from heaven? And he says, no, because you don't know what spirit you are of. I have come to have a baptism, and I will be baptized by fire. You know what he's saying? Here, listen. Don't cut yourself this morning. Don't shed your blood. Because I'm going to let people cut me, Jesus says. 
and I'm going to shed my blood for you. That's true worship of God. See, he says, you may be this morning on your last rope. You're at the end of the rope, I should say. And you're cutting yourself figuratively, I hope. And you think that there's no one who can answer. Can I tell you this? The God of the Bible hears. He hears your cry this morning. And here's what he says. I'll take the fire. I'll let them slash me. I'll let my blood flow so that you can be forgiven and so that you can know all the joys and blessings of salvation that I offer. You don't have to perform. I'm enough. Will you rebuild the altar today? Will you come back? Will you say this morning before you leave, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, who do you worship? That's the question, isn't it? Oh, you're here this morning, so it has to be God, perhaps to some extent. But is it God and Baal? Do you need God just for the big, big things? Or do you need him for everything? Maybe you're here this morning and you know the emptiness. You know the pain, the disappointment, the Baals have. You thought you could do a number on them, but if you look at it, they're doing a number on you. You feel isolated. You feel alone. Jesus says, I'll take the fire for you. I'll take the fire. You give me all your worship. I'll take the punishment and the judgment that you deserve. I'll turn your heart completely around if you'll let me. But perhaps this morning is not as a child of God that are you struggling, but you're here this morning and you don't worship God at all because you don't know him through his son Jesus. You haven't recognized that His death and resurrection is the payment for sin. It's the fire that you deserve that he absorbed. You've never put your trust in him. You really have never given your life to worship him. See, this morning can be that day. This is the day that your Mount Carmel turns your heart completely to God, not back to him, but to him. Would there be anyone this morning who would say, Pastor Walker, on the main floor in the balcony, I want to give my heart to the true and living God. And today, I want to truly worship him with all of my life. I need his son, Jesus, who died for me and rose again to come into my life and forgive my sins. I need to call on him to be my Lord and Savior. Please pray for me. Would there be anyone like that? Just slip your hand up, and I'll pray for you in a moment before we conclude. Thank you for your hand. Someone else, main floor balcony. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Please, we'll be here all throughout this day. Make an appointment through the week, whatever you would do. Please come and see one of us as pastors. Come and talk to me. I'll be glad to show you how the true God can be your God. 
But as we close in prayer, just in a moment, would there be Christians, God's people, who today, Pastor Walker, I need to rebuild the altar in my life, in my marriage, in my home. This needs to be a covenant event today. I need to stop worshiping the bales I've allowed to come into my life. Here it is, Pastor Walker, I admit it. I have been limping. But no more. I want to get rid of the bales to worship God only. Please pray for me. Would you, as a Christian, would you say that this morning by lifting your hand? And I'll pray for you as well. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Number of hands in the balcony. I see your hand all over. Thank you on my right and my left. Oh, Master. Thank you for taking the fire for us. Thank you for taking the judgment we deserved. You are so gracious and loving. Blessed be your name. For those who raise their hand today indicating that they don't worship you truly at all. It's been based on their performance. They've been trying to be good enough, but they realize performance is empty. It leads to failure and worse. Father, give them the humility and brokenness that you might allow your spirit to regenerate them, that they might believe, they might come to faith in your son Jesus that we might be able to talk with them and rejoice with the angels of heaven over sinners that repent. And for those also this morning of God's people, your people, Lord, who have publicly admitted this morning that there's too many bales because one would be too many. There's bales in their life. Oh, Father, may they break those altars down. Bring the fire, oh, Lord. Bring the fire of your Holy Spirit. Change them and turn their hearts back to you. And we'll thank you for these rich blessings in the name of the true storm, God Jesus. Amen.